happiness, uh, etc., etc. So we're going to be looking today at a psalm of forgiveness. And this psalm, Psalm 32, can be found on the inside of your bulletin, or of course it's in the Bible if you brought it. This is Psalm 32. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of the great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curled, curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for God, all you who are upright in heart. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you guys have been following the story of John McAfee. Anybody's been following the story? Anyone know who John McAfee is? Okay, he's this big uh, guru. Some of you have his software, McAfee software. It's one of the original virus protection softwares. Well, McAfee's a bit of an eccentric fellow, and so he kind of disappeared. He bought an island down in Belize somewhere, wherever Belize might be. And needless to say, there was a murder on a close island, and McAfee is wanted for questioning. Now, I never got a chance to meet uh, McAfee. My island is off the coast of Venezuela. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, we're, we're, I consider us neighbors anyways. McAfee has fled and now is hiding in Oregon somewhere. Now, why do I bring up McAfee? Really, for no reason whatsoever. Let's go ahead and get started with the survey. No, I want to talk a little bit about virus software. You know, we all have it. And the point of virus, they say there's over 200 million viruses. And the goal of the virus, of course, is to get into the computer and wreak havoc. How many of us have received that email, you know, that comes out because a, a virus is coming to the system and starts spewing it out? And so the goal of virus protection software is to find these viruses and quarantine them. See, often they can't be destroyed. They simply have to be set aside, <coughs> covered, and hidden so they can't break forth and wreak havoc. And hope that sometime along a cure can come for it. Otherwise, that virus is resident in that quarantine area. When I heard about John McAfee and thought a little bit about the software, I thought to myself, you know, there's a very deep spiritual analogy to it. Aren't we sort of the same way, you know? Not with viruses, but sin. What do we do with the problem of sin? How do we contain it? How do we quarantine it? How do we render it ineffective? Because if we don't, it bursts forward and it comes out of us in all sorts of different ways. Hurting ourselves, hurting those close to us, hurting everybody else. And that's the story that's going on here with this psalmist who's dealing with the question, what do I do with my sin? He's quarantined it. He's set it aside. He 
it says. This is a psalm of forgiveness. The message of the psalm is simply this. Since God is free to forgive, let us be quick to confess, quick to receive, and quick to rejoice. I'm giving you a pattern that the psalmist gives us of how we deal with not only quarantine our sin, but getting rid of it altogether. Let's break down that thought into three different sections. Number one, the importance of confession. Look at verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom uh, the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now this psalmist is setting the standard. He's summarizing what it is that he's learned through this process. You know, it's a neat thing when you hear someone speaking from experience, right? There's, there's more truth to it because he's experienced it. And that's what's going on here. He's giving us this dictum about what it means to be blessed, which means happy, makarios in the Greek, what it means to be happy. Now, how would you define happiness if I asked you that question? For many of us and in this country, we define happiness by external uh, circumstances. You're happy if you're prospering in your work. You're happy if you are affluent. You're happy if you have many friends, many relationships. You're happy with all of those things, good health as well. But the psalmist is saying, out of all those things, he doesn't mention any of them, does he? What he says is, happy are those whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Now, this should encourage each one of us, because... I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you've made a gazillion dollars or not. Maybe things haven't worked out so well in your relationships. Maybe you struggle with your health problems. But happiness doesn't come from any of those things. Happiness comes from our relationship with God. But we see there are three elements that are working in this song. Three particular things we need to deal with. Two are people. God, the triune God. Man and sin. Often we want to have a relationship in which one of those things don't exist. Right? I, I want a relationship with God. It's God and me. And there's nothing else. Well, that's not reality, is it? But then there's this relationship, me and sin, and maybe there's no God. Because I can't see beyond the person that I am. And therefore, there is no God. It's just me and my miserableness. And then there's God and sin and man. <laughs> A holy God who loves his creation and yet at the same time is righteous and holy and just. And so all of these three realities exist. <laughs> well, let's look at sin first. What is sin? It's actually described right here. It's transgression. Whose transgression is forgiven. It is iniquity. And it's deceit. We all know the word transgression, don't we? You can translate it trespass. You're stepping across the line. You're transgressing, in this case, the commandments of God. God has told us to live this way, and yet we have stepped across the line. Iniquity means unfairness. It means immoral behavior. We've stepped across the line in the way that God tells us to treat one another. And of course, we all know deceit, at least I do. We lie to others. We lie to God. We even lie to ourselves. See, this sin is a barrier, isn't it, when we look at this passage? There's a barrier between God and us, and that barrier is sin. And we've got to quarantine it somehow. Now, what do we do with this sin? 
says this. He does not say blessed are those who have mercy. Blessed are the perfect people. Blessed are the people that have it all together. doesn't say that, does it? It says blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. See, the transgression exists, doesn't it? It's out there for everyone to see. It's not a question whether it's transgression or not. It's a question of whether it's forgiven. This word transgression is forgiven in the Hebrew. Now, saw literally means blessed are the ones whose sins are lifted up. The ones who are carried away. They kind of float away like the balloon. It still exists, but it's not on my shoulders. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Same way in the Hebrew, it would be like putting it at the bottom of the ocean and covering it, or putting it in a closet where it can't come out. Blessed is the one who God counts no iniquity. Notice again, it's the one who is counting is the issue, not the iniquity itself, and in which there is no deceit. In other words, a person who is honest about themselves to God, who is honest to themselves, who is honest even to the world about the person that they are. We can conclude one thing simply, that sin does not disappear. It doesn't magically erase. It has to go somewhere. And so what does the psalmist do in light of the sin that he sees? He hides. He hides. He runs away, if you will. He hides because of shame and because of fear. Verse 3, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. See, he went into silent mode. I don't know if uh, Eric Strickland's here, but submariners, they have this thing where the submarine goes silent. Because <coughs> you've got to keep quiet so the enemy can't hear you. That's what this fellow is doing. He's running silent. He's trying to hide his sin. But he can't seem to get away from it, can he? Because the problem is not outside. The problem is inside the submarine. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning. All day long. It's like he has something pent up inside of him that's wearing him down, withering him, killing him, wasting him. And what is this pressure that is upon him? <coughs> it's the pressure of the Lord's hand. Verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. The Lord, even though he's running silent, the Lord's hand is upon him, bearing down on him, not willing to let him go. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Anybody ever go to Bush Gardens in July? Oh man, you know, you start out and you're running with your kids and by the end of it, you are just white. The heat of summer is sapping his strength. We can only conclude this fact that God is wearing him down. Slowly and inexorably, he's wearing him down. Until he has to confess you know, I know I've heard it said that in order to save a drowning person, the thing you have to do when they're struggling is to stay away from them. You rather wait until they've lost all of their strength, because if you go too early, they'll grab you and take you down with them. It's only when they've lost all their strength that you're able to come alongside them and save them. See, that's what God is doing right here, wearing him down so he can come and save them. And the man realizes, I have only one choice with my sin. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He crossed the Rubicon, if you will. He opened the door. He surfaced the sub. He uncovered his sin. He confessed it to the Lord. 
take so long for him to confess his sin? Why does it take so long for us? Did God not know his sin? Well, of course he did. It was shame and fear. See, we fear this God who knows our sin. We fear his wrath. We're ashamed of who we are and what we've become. And so we hide. But there was something even deeper. He had a lack of understanding of who God was in his character. Look at verse 9. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. The greater his sin, the greater his misunderstanding of the character of the Lord. The Lord, before you knew it, God is over there, man is over there, and sin is right here. He was hiding. I love playing a game with my kids. Some of you play it. It's called peekaboo. Remember peekaboo? It's a great thing. Sometimes Leon and I do it during a day. It's very interesting to do that. People make comments, but <laughs> peekaboo. You do it with a little kid because what happens in peekaboo? There's a certain period of time when kids don't have what's called object permanence. It's literally out of sight, out of mind. And so when a kid does peekaboo and they cover their eyes, guess what? Nothing exists outside of themselves. It's only when they... Wouldn't that be great, by the way? <laughs> Man, I'm having a hard day. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> they're, they're hiding because they think there's nothing out there. It's only when they open their eyes. See, we do the same thing, don't we, with sin. We cover, it, cover our eyes. There's nothing going on out there. We do the same thing with God. And we do it in two different ways. Either we're irreligious, and we run. We run as far as we can from God, because there's no way He can find us if we're over there. Or we take care of it religiously. We play peekaboo with religion. <laughs> if I come to church more, if I write a bigger check, if I serve more, if I do all the right things and I cut out that bad behavior, guess what? Maybe God will do peekaboo with my sins as well. But there are consequences, my friends, to our sins. We can't wish them away. We can't make them dark. We have to deal with our sin. And this psalmist, just like you and me, understands the first part of our, sin, of our situation of how we are to deal with sin. And that's number one, recognize it. Recognize your sin. Come to grips with the reality that you are a sinner. And so am I. We're all in this boat together. We must recognize it before we're willing to even deal with it. We must recognize our sin, but we must also understand God's character. See, in the end, this man, he knew God's standard of holiness, but he didn't know God's power of forgiveness. He knew God's wrath, but he didn't know God's love. And so he made a decision whether it's because of love, no, it wasn't. It was the hand of the Lord upon him that he would confess. One of my favorite movies was the movie uh, We Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon. I don't know if you remember, he's counseling his son, and his son kind of likes this girl, and she likes him, but he's not sure what to do, and he's very nervous. And his, son gives him, his dad gives him very good advice. He says sometimes it only takes 20 seconds of raw courage to get up and to go say what you have to say. I guarantee if you can do that, something will come. You know, that's what it is with recognizing and confessing our sin. It takes 20 seconds of raw courage to get up, to go to God, and to uncover your soul. 
we've got to get the credits to offset the debits. And the truth is, they're right. The sin had to be paid, but the sin was not paid by me. See, this is the scandal of the gospel. God gives us an answer to the question, if I come to you, if I lay open all of my sins, will you condemn me? And God's answer is very simple. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to the question. Because Jesus Christ went for condemnation up on the cross. But it wasn't our, His condemnation. It was ours. He didn't ask for His forgiveness from God. He asked for ours. Jesus is the answer. If I come to you, will you condemn me? And so we receive His life at the cost of His life. Jesus Christ took away the sin. Blessed are he whose transgressions are taken away. They were put up on the cross. Blessed are those whose sin is covered. What was our sin covered by? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And at the end of the supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said to them, Take, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The covering of our sin is Jesus Christ's blood given for you and me. A blood that's eternal, that's effective, that is for all <laughs> sins that we will commit. One of my favorite movies, I have a lot of favorite movies, by the way, in this sermon. Anybody there? Uh, there were some guys there. We played this game, by the way where it was called Know Your Padre, okay? And one of the questions was, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does your padre, your pastor, embellish his sermons? Now I know the answer to that, and I put a 3, because every now and then I put the thing. And what was the response of the men there from Redeemer? It was 8. It was 8, okay? Shame, shame. Confess that sin. Quarantine it. I don't want to hear it again, okay? This is true, though, okay? This is one of my favorite It's called The Mission. You've never seen it? It's a great movie. It's probably in 86 or something, and it stars Robert De Niro. And they're in South America, and De Niro is this guy. Uh, he's a heinous guy. Rodrigo Mendoza is his name. And he's a slave trader. And basically, he goes up into the mountains there, and he takes uh, people from the Guarani Indian tribe, and he blasts them down, he takes them, and he sells them. He's a slaver. Well, Rodrigo is going to be married, and he catches his fiance with his younger half-brother, Felipe. And he is crushed, and he is angry. And so he kills Felipe in a duel. And all of his sins come crashing down on him. And he realizes that he's not worthy to live. He's killed his brother. He's dishonored himself. And so he's rotting in a prison when Father Gabriel, the Jesuit, finds him. And the Father challenges him. Are you willing to pay penance for your sins? Are you willing to do something? Are you going to rot in this prison for the rest of your life? And so Mendoza decides what he has to do. He goes in and he takes this big, big net and he stuffs it with armor. Looks like about 350 pounds of armor. And the Jesuits are going to the top of the mountain, so he says, I will go too. I will carry this armor all the way up the hill to the Guarani. And so he straps it around himself, and they're going through this jungle. It's unbelievably hard, and Mendoza's going up, and 
time and time again, his armor gets caught and goes backward and hits the rocks, and he is just bruised and bloody by the time he finally gets to the top of the mountains, only to encounter the Guarani Indians, the very people whose mothers and fathers and children Mendoza has taken away. And one of the Guaranis comes up to him with a knife and holds it very near Mendoza, who expects his life to end. And then he takes that knife and he cuts the rope that holds the armor and he kicks the armor over the waterfall. And for the first time in his life, Andrea Mendoza knows grace. He knows that God is not here to kill me. See, the Guarani Indians came to Christ. They understood what it meant, blessed, to receive the covering of the Lord. And because of them, so did Rodrigo Mendoza. See, at the end of the day, Rodrigo Mendoza and you and I have to answer the big question. Have you asked it? Have you ever gone to God and said, here I am? What do you think of me? Have you ever given 20 seconds of courage with the Lord to show him everything? You know what you'll find at the end of the day? You'll find Jesus with you. But you have to do it. Will we still sin? Yes. We will. But it's different. Because I know God loves me because He loves me. Not simply because I jumped through all the hoops. Now we can have an honest, open relationship with Him. And you can receive God's grace when you sin. Well, how do I do this, Carlos? I don't know how to do it. There's no formula. You may want to write it out. You may just want to get in a corner with the Lord. You may need someone to help you work through these things. I don't have an answer for you. I just know you have to do it. You can't truly receive God's grace until you truly confess who you are and what you have done. And so this man received. God is free to forgive, but this man became quick to confess and quick to receive. But there was one final thing he experienced from receiving this unconditional grace. He rejoiced. At the very end, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You want to know what true joy is? I'd like to know what true joy is. It's unconditional love and acceptance. True joy is unconditional love and acceptance. It's a beautiful thing when you have it with friends, with your children, with your spouse, but it's an infinitely more beautiful thing when you have it with God. Unconditional love and acceptance brings forth joy. <laughs> Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Do you see the transformation of this psalmist from beginning to end as he takes this walk of forgiveness like Mendoza going up the hill? Be glad in the Lord, O righteous. He has a source of gladness, a God who will never leave him or forsake him, who will not judge him because his son has been judged. And thus he rejoices. Have his conditions changed? Internally they have. I don't know what's going on in my life. My guess is he's doing the exact same thing he did before. In terms of his life, it doesn't have to do with out there. It has to do with here. Be glad and rejoice in the Lord. Shout, shout, it says, for joy, all you upright in heart. Shouts come when you can't help it, right? Favorite team scores a touchdown. Maybe there's joy there, I don't know. But there's an involuntary shout. Be 
because you are so excited about what's going on in here. Shout all you upright in heart. You know why you're upright? You know why you can go ahead and bear yourself? Because Christ is upright. And His uprightness becomes yours. Shout. Make known the blessings of God's riches of His grace. See, if you want to tell your friends about Christ, before you go out, look in. Before you go out, look up. Because the best witness in life is a person whose heart has been transformed by the love of Christ. People around you will say, I want that. I'm not sure what that is, but I want that. That's what people are looking for. But they can't see it authentically until you take those 20 seconds of courage and get before the Lord. Joy is the surest indication of a heart that has been set free. His life may have not changed, but his heart has changed. So I finish with my challenge for you. My so what? This has been great, Carlos. When do we get the bagels? So what? Where are you at right now? Work backwards in your life, if you will. Is there joy in your life? Is there freedom of forgiveness? I'm not saying that we still are humans, we're imperfect, we're going to yell at our dog. Yes, yes. But is there joy in our life? Because if there's joy in our life, not just happiness, I bet you it probably has to do with your standing with God because you've received <laughs> His grace even in the midst of knowing that you are a sinner. There's two types of people in this world. Those who are sinners and those who know they're sinners. Which are you? See, if they've received God's grace and they have joy, that means they've confessed. They've stepped out and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a stream of life. A stream of joy, confession, repentance, reception, again and again and again, like water creating a smooth space on the rock. You'll be sitting for the rest of your life. You may not want to. God is doing a work in your life, but you know what? You will be. Maybe your sins will change as you get older. But like Alex said, it's about not only our sin, but the reception of God's grace, which transforms our heart which strengthens us and gives us that desire to worship Him. Are you willing to try? Many of you are carrying your armor right now, just invisible in church. But it's a nice big 350-pound bag of armor that you're hauling around, trying to hope that God will one day forgive you for your sins. Christ is like that in
Jesus, you are our Father, the one who created us, the one who restores us, and the one who glorifies. In you we are no longer strangers or enemies, but we are your very children. Lord, give us that 20 seconds of courage to step out to answer the question, maybe the first time or maybe the 50th time, God, do you really love me, even amidst all that I am and all that I have and all that I have? Speak to us, Lord, we